0: Chapter 16, Retreat Lieutenant Gutschalk didn't bother Franz about his Bible reading anymore. His animosity, however, hadn't subsided, and he bided his time to get Franz into trouble. One Sunday afternoon, the Hauptmann threw a party in honor of one of the men who'd been promoted to sergeant. Everyone was invited. Franz, who hadn't worked on Sabbath, had some bookkeeping to catch up on, so when he arrived, the party was already in full swing. There was real coffee and big platters of cake, and these rare delicacies contributed so much to the festive mood that the conversation was lively. During a lull, Lieutenant Gutschalk suddenly turned to Franz. Say, Hassel," he said. What do you think of Hitler? Taken by surprise, Franz blurted out the first thing that came into his head. He is the biggest shyster under the sun. For a moment there was silence. Then all hell broke loose. Chairs crashed to the floor as soldiers jumped up and began pounding the wooden tables with their fists. In a flash, two old stormtroopers, members of Hitler's special Sturmabteilung, the SA, had pulled their pistols and pointed them at Franz. "This is treason of the highest degree!" they raged in their fury, spraying spittle and crumbs of cake. "We are going to shoot you now!" Out of the vase, the rest of you, into the uproar thundered the Hauptmann's voice. Quiet here! I tell you I want quiet! The tumult subsided, but Mikus's voice didn't. Soldiers, he roared, this is a private party. We are here to celebrate. We are off duty. There will be no political discussions, and that's an order. How dare you spoil our celebration! Reluctantly, the men sat down. The stormtroopers crammed their weapons back into their holsters, cursing under their breath. Goodchoke's eyes glittered with hostility. Shortly afterward, the party broke up. Karl and Vili were the first to Franz's quarters. Franz, Karl said, his voice quavering slightly. If you don't shut up, you'll get yourself killed. Right here, at the end of the war. Vili gripped Franz's shoulder in a painful squeeze. Pull yourself together, man. Keep your own counsel. I know, I know, Franz shook himself free. My tongue just got the better of me. be more careful. You know that we don't like Hitler any more than you do, Willy said. But you don't always have to say what you think. I know, Franz repeated. Thanks for the advice. That summer, the German army began to feel as though a mammoth vice were squeezing them. Allied troops landed in France and fought their way east, while on the eastern front, the Red Army pushed the Germans back step by step. The Luftwaffe had long since lost command of the air, and the Wehrmacht had never really recovered from the heavy losses of the previous winter. In the Crimea, the pioneers themselves suffered heavy losses. The soldiers sent as replacements were often mere boys of fifteen or sixteen. Untrained and inexperienced, they fell almost immediately. Day and night, the sounds of shell-fire, mortars, and cannons raged as the Russians stepped up the attacks. Fear clutched even the most seasoned soldiers. Sometimes they came to Franz, shamefacedly asking for a new pair of pants. They'd filled theirs in the trenches. When winter arrived the company finally received orders to retreat. They packed in haste and drove north, eventually reaching Odessa on the shores of the Black Sea. They were expecting a few days of rest, but word came that the Russians were close behind. Early the next morning they fled for their lives leaving Odessa's western suburbs while the Red Army entered the city on the east. Continuing through deep snow, the pioneers made good time until they reached the Danyostrovsky liman, an estuary of the Black Sea about a mile and a half wide. Here, a hodgepodge of soldiers, civilians, ox carts, trucks, wagons, and animals was lined up waiting to cross the liman on the barge that served as a ferry. Orders came that only the military was allowed to cross, But as Franz saw the crying women and children, he said to them, look, if you are willing to leave all your belongings behind and just escape with your life, I'll put you on my wagons and smuggle you across. But you have to be completely quiet. It is strength forbidden to help civilians. Gratefully, the women climbed on, a few to each wagon, and Franz hid them behind bundles and boxes. At 7 p.m., the last pioneers crossed. At 9 p.m., the Red Army took over, capturing an entire German battalion that had been ordered to build a landing dock. The pioneers were ordered to find billets in the next town, but their stay wasn't an easy one. The Russians launched bombing attacks day and night. Whenever bombs fell, the Germans threw themselves to the ground, the only way they could have a chance against the horizontally spraying shrapnel. Soon, orders came to retreat further. Hastily, Franz put up signs to help straggling pioneers know where to find the rest of Unit 699. When the comrades finally caught up, many of them had lost shoes, belts, and caps in the hasty flight. The Hauptmann assembled the company. Men, he addressed them after roll call. Most of you own a pair of shoes and a pair of boots, but some of you have lost everything.
1: You have been willing
0: to go through fire for each other. I trust that you will take care of one another's needs. Quickly, the soldiers shared their spare clothing with the ones who had nothing. Then, still hotly pursued by the Russians, the pioneers continued west, traveling day and night until they crossed the border into Romania. The exhausted men rested for a few days in the city of Bralia before heading north into the Carpathian Mountains. During this hurried flight, Franz lost all track of time. One day he spent some moments studying the calendar, trying to orient himself. To his chagrin, he discovered that during the helter-skelter retreat, he had missed a Sabbath. During all the years of the war, it was the only Sabbath he hadn't kept. All the way from Odessa, the pioneers had been busy reinforcing or building bridges across the waterways so that the Wehrmacht could bring back their heavy equipment and tanks. The Germans also had thousands of horse-drawn wagons filled with munitions, clothing, food, and all the gear needed in warfare. Now orders came that only motorized vehicles were allowed on the roads, so the soldiers loaded what they could onto trucks and blew up the wagons. The horses, they hitched together and led along the side of the road. Franz still had charge of 30 horse-drawn wagons. Despite orders, he kept them on the road where the traffic moved at a snail's pace. Only at the bridges were they forced off the road. Herr Hauptmann, Franz asked one day, we ourselves have built this bridge, and we can't even cross it? Isn't there anything you can do about that? The Hauptmann sighed and shook his head. I'm afraid not. We're going against orders as it is, keeping those horse wagons. You'll have to try to ford the river on foot. Franz did, and guided the wagons back onto the road on the other side. High up in the Carpathians, they reached the headquarters of the general. When he saw the company with their wagons, he ran outside, raging and yelling. Don't you know that the wagons are no longer allowed on the roads? It is strength verboten. Where are you coming from? Who is in charge here? Halpin Mikus stepped forward. So much in the German army was strength verboten. We are Pioneer Park Company 699, he said. We are one of Hitler's flying battalions, and as such take orders directly from him. Ah, so, the general said, that's different, of course. I'll tell you what, You pull your wagons off the road here and wait until night time. Je may proceed from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., but not during the day, otherwise I will have a riot on my hands. Content with this arrangement, the pioneers made camp while thousands of soldiers rushed by. No one understood how they could be so relaxed with the Russians on their heels. The company ate at 5 p.m., then packed their belongings and promptly at 6 o'clock took off like lightning. Since the roads were empty at night, their travel actually proceeded faster than the motorized vehicles that moved by day. High in the mountains, they reached a signpost, Budapest, Hungary, 897 miles, 1,495 kilometers. They figured that they could cover 30 miles, or 50 kilometers, per night and reach Budapest in 20 days. As their nightly journey continued, they became aware of an eerie glow on the horizon in the direction of Budapest. Willie sidled up to Franz and asked, Franz, what you suppose that is? I think the whole city is burning, Franz responded. The pioneers rushed on and reached Budapest in a record time of eighteen days. There they had a big surprise. The whole city was brightly illuminated at night. No blackout here. No air raid warden walked the streets at night looking for chinks of light that might endanger a whole neighborhood. It was a sight the soldiers had not seen in years. In fact, the city was little affected by the war, and the Hungarians treated the Germans kindly. Hauptmann Mikus decided to proceed with trucks only. Many other units had had to abandon their vehicles already because of lack of fuel. But thanks to the gasoline the pioneers had hoarded for 18 months, they had plenty of fuel to get all the way home. They loaded their belongings onto trucks and gave their wagons and horses to grateful companies who had no transportation. The pioneers were ordered to build a bridge across the Danube for the sea of German troops flooding back. The bridge was completed in four days. The retreat became more and more hectic. At the point of exhaustion, the pioneers reached Hungary's Balaton Lake. But there was to be no rest for the weary men. At two o'clock the following morning, they were awakened by gunshots. Rattled, a bleary-eyed Hauptmann crashed into Franz's room. Hassel, what's that noise? Seconds before, Franz had returned from a scouting expedition. It's the Russians shooting for strange mortars, sir. They're only a few hundred yards away. What, what should I do? Sir, Franz kept his voice level and as confident as possible. Do you want to become a Russian prisoner of war? Order immediate departure or we are lost. I can't do that. I have no orders from above. Herr Haltman, we cannot wait for orders. This is a time for independent action. In the pitch black night, the pioneers took off. Three hours later, they met the commander of the battalion on horseback looking for them. Am I glad to see you, he yelled. We couldn't get word to you. We didn't know where you were. You were the last company of the battalion to catch up. On they rushed, eventually crossing the border into Austria. Because the Russians had already occupied the area around Vienna, the battalion was forced to take a detour that took them to Graz, on the southern border of Austria. Soon they were ordered to swing straight north to bruch an der mur and from there north again to Sankt-Pulten. After only a week, orders came to go south again to Mariatzell. There was no more logic to their movements. The roads were clogged with the Wehrmacht surging north or south. It was impossible to cover any distance. Franz, who had lived and coal in Austria for nine years, went to the helpmen. Sir, I know this country like the palm of my hand. I can get us to Mariatzell on back roads if you like. Relief washed over the weary commander's face. Absolutely, Hassel. Take over the leadership the pioneers left the main thoroughfares and crawled along unpaved roads up and down the Alps. Yet they reached Marietzel before anyone else, and were able to billet themselves in a large hotel. While the company took stations and held back the Russians, Franz assembled his office and set up the only radio the company had left. For months he had been listening to the enemy station, the only way to get reliable news about the war's progress. On Sunday Franz strolled through Marietzel a famous pilgrimage town. At the pilgrimage church the sermon had just started. Curiously, Franz listened in. Good people, the priest was just saying. Don't worry. If we can't get into heaven through the main gate, God always has a back door through which we can sneak in. We'll all get there somehow. Franz had heard enough. Shaking his head, he moved on. On May 1st, 1945, While Franz was listening to the radio news, he saw Lieutenant Gutschalk walk by outside. Franz yanked open the window and put his head out. ''Peter'' he called. ''Peter, have you heard the news? I want to express my condolences.'' The lieutenant whirled, his face chalk white. ''What is it?'' he quavered. ''What happened? Have you received bad news of my family?'' ''No, Peter, it's worse than that. Your God just died. He killed himself yesterday.'' Peter's face turned from white to beet red. He shot Franz a hate filled look and walked on. A few days later, when several men were clustered around the radio, Mikus entered. An announcement was just blasting out of the speaker. Achtung, Achtung! We are demanding full surrender of the German Wehrmacht. Give yourselves up, surrender your weapons! Mikus was enraged. Who turned the enemy station on? It is strength verboten, he roared. Herr Hauptmann, Franz said respectfully. There is no other station left. We are surrounded by enemies. The only two pockets left that are still held by the Germans are Prague and here in Marie I tell you, Hassel, snapped Mikus. We are not going to lose the war. This is all enemy propaganda. What will we win the war with, sir? Franz asked, wondering whether Mikus actually believed what he was saying. We have no more food, clothing or ammunition. For months now we have eaten bread that consists of 50% sawdust, and we can't get any more supplies because the enemy is in control of everything. Mikus had been open when alone with Franz, but now he betrayed a rare moment of indecision before others of rank and file. You have a point, sir, he said in a low voice. Frankly, I'm so confused, I don't know what to do. Why not go to the commander of the battalion and get directions? Half an hour later, Mikus telephoned Franz. Hassel, call our soldiers back from the front and burn all secret documents, save the non classified files. Franz immediately sent messengers to recall his comrades from their stations and had them load the vehicles. In the courtyard, he built a roaring fire and tossed in all the files, the non classified along with the secret ones. Mikus strode in. What are you doing? You were only to burn the secret documents. Sir, Franz said, the war is over. We'll have no more use for these things, and we don't want the Russians to find them. Let's destroy them and keep only our money and our service records. Lieutenant Kutschok stepped to the fire to rescue the files. We are never going to capitulate. Lieutenant, Franz said, you need to learn something important. The tide has turned. Up to now, you called the shots, but you can't harm me anymore because of my Christian beliefs, you have wanted to do away with me all during the war. Now those same Christian beliefs are going to be your salvation because I am not going to turn you in for war crimes. Just then, a voice boomed over the radio, Germany has surrendered, I repeat, Germany has surrendered. It was May 8, 1945. The Hauptmann called headquarters, then assembled his men and told them, Men, the surrender is official. The enemies have signed a treaty that states that all German soldiers who cross the river ends by 11 a.m. tomorrow morning will become American prisoners of war. The ones who don't make it will fall into the Russian hands. From now on, it's every man for himself. Take the vehicles and fly. Good luck to you. Franz, Karl, Philly, and Sergeant Erich decided to stick together. They pulled out at 10 a.m. The Russians entered Maria's 30 minutes later. Hordes of Germans were already crawling over the high alpine passes all heading toward the common goal, to reach the Americans before it was too late. If a wagon lost a wheel, it was heaved over the cliffs. When trucks ran out of gas, 20 men immediately surrounded it and sent it to the same destination. Sometimes an hour was lost before the road was cleared again. During these involuntary stops, Franz and Karl climbed down the mountainside and scavenged among the discarded vehicles. They returned with a cache of canned goods, cigarettes, and armfuls of cowhides. They loaded the things onto their own truck and continued on. One or the other would glance at his watch and anxiously calculate the distance yet to be covered. The next delay came when the road ran alongside a clear mountain stream full of trout. Looking down, Billy said, Hey guys, let's shoot some fish by the time the column started up again, Karl and Willi had a nice catch of fresh trout. Finally, from the top of a mountain, they saw the river glistening in the distance like a silver ribbon. Would they make it? The defeated Wehrmacht all but stampeded to the distant goal. At 10.30 a.m., Franz, Karl, Willi and Erich crossed the bridge over the river ends. For them, the war was over. American soldiers met them on the other side. Stop they said in simple German, and gestured to one pile. Weapons here, they said, gesturing to one pile. Ammunition there. Franz unbuttoned his holster and tossed his wooden revolver on the heap. Willy's eyes stared from their sockets. Franz, he asked, what on earth is that thing? That's my gun, said Franz, eyes twinkling. I had it made in Poland and got rid of my real one there. Are you crazy? You see, I didn't ever want to be in a position where I would be tempted to shoot someone. Sergeant Erich stared even harder at Franz. This was the man he'd chosen to be his guardian angel during the entire war. The Americans waved them on. Pointing west, they said, Brownau, prison camp. The men understood, but now there was no more hurry. They could relax at last because finally they were safe. They drove a few kilometers, then stopped for lunch, where over an open campfire Willi and Karl roasted the fresh trout. What a treat it was! The following day at noon, just before their gasoline ran out, they reached the camp and joined the 140,000 German prisoners of war already there. At the time the retreat had started, the pioneers had been among the troops farthest from Germany. They had covered the greatest distance. Now they had reached their last goal of the war, to be in the hands of the Americans and not the Russians. This has been a production of Solemn Appeal Ministries. All rights reserved. For more information, please visit us at SolemnAppeal.com or call 1-888-449-1452.